Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. And it's that time of year. Welcome along to our season review of 2023. I'm joined in person, delightfully, by Alice Kalanokis, Matt Q and Jake Boxall to look back in two parts of the season we've just watched and what we can expect in 2023. We'll have a look at the teams and then in part two, the drivers and some season highlights and perhaps lowlights as well. And probably a few things which we may not have had a chance to talk about over the course of the last season a few experiences of what it's like for these three guys traveling uh, to the various Formula One races around the world. Gents, thank you for joining me on the podcast, our season review. Here we go again. Alex, it's always an interesting time because that the day-to-day grind of reporting on Formula One is over. So you can be a bit more re- reflective of what we've just seen. How how did you find 2023? A challenge in terms of finding the stories of a season where the stories were strangled by Max Verstappen and, and Red Bull's domination, but that's that is overall the main the main story isn't it like you have to say congratulations uh, to them um an amazing job from festival red bull to, to to do even better compared to 2022 and and the same for, for verstappen i i am sort of left wondering and i know we'll come on to talk about the drivers more in, in part two of this of this podcast that was max verstappen that much better or was everybody else just didn't have the opportunity because because their teams underperformed so so yeah it was it was uh it wasn't 2021 it wasn't the sort of constant thrills constant spills all of that it was it was you know it was uh it, it was where we you know we had to go to work finding out the stories and i think we did a we did a good job of that uh let's just hope um let's just hope there's there's much more to talk about in 2024 yeah pretty much matt everyone apart from a, a max verstappen fan will be left wondering what 2024 could bring if it is indeed something different i guess as you know we're impartial we just report on the sport but we we do look at things like the the engagement, the website figures, and we do see that there are times when people are less engaged when the results are foregone conclusion. So hopefully 2024, it tightens up a little bit at the top and we start to see a few more, you know, a few more uh, different winners on the podium. Absolutely. I start by uh, almost apologising because I think it was Imola, it's the Imola Race Review podcast 2022, where um, 
Verstappen had won over Leclerc, but Leclerc had spun. And basically, I said, this yes, Max-Red Bull combination is so potent. I'd love to see what they could do if they got it all right, like perfect pit stops, perfect strategy. I bet they'd win by like 30 seconds. I want to see that once, not 22 times throughout the year or, or what it felt like. But yeah, it's... Um, you know, and it's it's not just us. Everyone's everyone's numbers are affected by how interesting or not F one is. You know, Formula One itself, when the numbers were growing, they'd be everywhere. T V numbers, record growth, blah blah blah. Now it's conspicuously turned to touting social media figures as a go to metric of growth, although, you know, in the, well, third parties as opposed to independent reports have, have questioned that. So F1 does need to be more exciting. Uh, the slight irony is is that the rule book we're operating under were, was conceived to give that sort of shot in the arm, but we went from convergence at the end of 2021 to Red Bull running away with it. And um, not to go down a tangent, but you look at like other periods of domination, they've almost been sort of legislated out. You think of the ban on Williams active or the ban on uh, active cars for 94 or the outlawing of mass dampers. And they were, you know, thinly veiled sort of decisions made at specific teams whether that was Williams or Renault but I was thinking you can't do that now because the Red Bull is just good at everything it hasn't got one sort of slightly dubious slightly controversial thing to get it ahead it's just a mega car and as Alex says it you know you look at the McLaren in season gains or Aston Martin step it is basically up to you guys the other nine teams in Formula One to give us a spectacle that we've really been deprived of this year I guess that was my reflection on 2023 which is how good Red Bull were there was no, there wasn't that storyline of oh Max Verstappen's driving around a problem or his you know the pit stops let him down and you know he kind of battled back through adversity it was just a case of well everyone executed brilliantly which can be seen as as, not as interesting as all the drama, but everyone at Red Bull can hold their head up and go, you know what, we all did our bit, and and it, it looked it looked effortless from the outside, and I'm, I know it wasn't from the inside. Uh, JBL, just really impressive team performance. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think ninety nine percent of all the constituent elements were were there. For for us, as I think scholars i guess of f1 history as, as i, I actually wrote my university dissertation on history of formula one in the 1950s so the, we're, the very start of the world Championships. Like, actually I can, I can i can claim that i don't know about you jbl but um, you, <laughs> we'll you, get on to you that have later. a slightly more useful degree though when it comes to <laughs> formula one considering you're a trained engineer but there we go. <laughs> i don't know about that anyway um where was i going with this yeah so of i i don't think that we ever considered a future where the McLaren MP44 would be beaten, I think, pound for pound for domination, winning, you know, that year at one fifteen of the 16 races, Ferrari, the interloper, you know, did anyone think that was maybe, maybe once in a blue moon, maybe, but we've got it now. Ferrari, again, the interloper in that, which is a nice little parallel. To see that, watching history be made in that regard is unfortunately tedious and dull, in 30 years' time, I suspect we'll appreciate it a lot more if we're still alive by then. Um, so hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll have gained that appreciation. Um, uh, and, you know, I'm sure people will be knocking at our doors going, what was it like back then? Oh, well, you know, oh, it was just great to watch history being made. That's not actually how we think about it, but that's what we'll be saying well, in the future. You, I don't know. You said that I got to the point where it was so many Verstappen wins that I was like, I'd, I'd rather see him win all of them. And now I can say I've seen that bit of history. 
I don't know. That was that. I, I, I was. I was. I guess I was. Uh, like I said, scratching around trying to find something to. Well, I think given that every single race that you went to was Grand Prix Editor Max won. Yeah, I haven't seen. I'm so I, in all the races I've been to, including 2022, I haven't seen anyone but Max win since the 2022 British Grand Prix when Science won. Every race I've been to since he's won. Stop going to racing. <laughs> 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 <No problem. laughs> And and looking back at 2023 and how Red Bull did it, um, as it were, I posed this question on the video um, th- that we made. Was it that they were just spectacular or was it that they didn't really have a clear number two competitor? A bit of both, maybe? Yeah, I think a bit of both. So, you know, without trying to rattle off the other sort of leading teams in, in, very quick, uh, in a very quick sort of round robbing, I think... You know, Red Bull have obviously settled in 2022 on the optimum ground effect take. So to trivialise it, you've got the Ferrari bathtubs and the Mercedes Zero pods. They proved on their days all right, but the Ferrari in particular had an aerodynamic performance ceiling and the Mercedes they couldn't get to unlock. So you've got the Red Bull take around which everyone else has converged. And again, not to sort of throw forward to 2024 and say that'll be a write-off as well but from 2022 Red Bull had it first they had a year of learning and understanding and so they're further along the line with that concept so therefore everyone else either has an inferior concept or is then playing catch-up and you know we are and, and Red Bull worked brilliantly with it obviously this was the year where not only did they have the aerodynamic testing restrictions based on basically doing well being number one in the Constructors Championship um, throughout 2022 but also um they they basically didn't really have to pay for the ten um, percent reduction for exceeding the cost cap, so that is why Red Bull were mega. But then, you know, if you have those factors where they have reduced testing time, it is up to the others to um, to catch up. And obviously, you know, the the narrative we'll get into is that Mercedes was thrown in some part by the end of last year. Ferrari, you know, you wind back to. Uh, I didn't go, but wind back to live streaming their car unveil this year, and it's going around Maranello. And yes, it was all hammed up and whatever, just for the sake of like pleasing a few sponsors. But the show of confidence, and you know, I was totally drawn hook, line, and sinker into that, thinking it'd be mega. And then how Aston Martin were in the first few races coming out in Saudi Arabia, and I'm getting looks from Alex. So it's because my introduction for the season overview feature is exactly that from Maranello. It's everything went perfect. Yeah. That was how Ferrari driver Carlos Sainz summed up the team's launch back uh, back in mid February. So yeah, I do have well, a great mind. We haven't got that far, but um, yeah, and it's just you know, and, and then. I think right up until really through Monaco, going Alonso can win a race here, win a race here. And then for various reasons, it all tailed off to just leave Red Bull as, as you know, the master of everyone, really. There were times this year when they struggled. They struggled with ride height in Spa and they had to certainly make some adjustments there. It was a wet weekend, wasn't it? So um, did, did they struggle with ride height or were they very clever with what they did in terms of telling their drivers to lift off through So they were losing almost, almost a second, many tenths. But uh, it was still way ahead of the competition. like And still way ahead. And Verstappen still went from sixth, from sixth to winning. So I, I, I actually say that Spa performance is an example of Red Bull being totally on top of it now okay it was it sort of it injected a bit of jeopardy in terms of both drivers were clearly concerned was the other one lifting off enough things like that did that contribute to Max nearly massively losing it when the rain came down at Eau Rouge um, but again just just on him that performance showed 
how good he was in 2023 because Spa is still the me- the mega track that it's that it's always been, and he absolutely destroyed Perez once again there. But in terms of the team, I mean, what what did they really get wrong? Like. Okay, we'll come on and talk, to talk about uh, uh, the the, re- the relative weakness of the RB19, right? But let's think about their pit stops. I mean, I think it was only one or two that they really, you know, lost a second or two, and that was towards the end of the year. It did demonstrate that Max wanting to get that fastest lap in Austria, that's why it was perilous, because if something had gone wrong, if he'd sped in the pit lane or whatever, that's what it could have been. But look what we're talking about. We're talking about literally the icing on the icing of the cake to to, to, to cheer up JBL, the uh, the autosport baker over here. But yeah, so, you know, again, I said, I said it's a relative weakness of the RB19, right? Because it just, we've never seen success on this scale before. Like it, it destroys 1988. Like, um, it's it, it, you know it's interesting, but th- there were problems again. Like I said, problems relative term, and it was low speed corners, curbs, and bumps. And unfortunately, Singapore just had that in a complete combination that undid Red Bull. And they themselves then made some mistakes on that weekend where they were trying their sort of different floor arrangements, which ride heights might work, might not work. And I think if you went back there, this is with fact Adrian knew he said this to me in Mexico. If they went back there, they think they wouldn't do as badly as they did. Does that mean they would win that race? I don't know because basically with the the other thing that made the season quite interesting was that the other teams could get close in qualifying particularly the Ferrari because they had one a Charles Leclerc and two the soft tyre new soft tyre things like that uh, meant the, team, the teams with the weaker cars could could close the gap to Red Bull it's sort of masked like Verstappen talks about this quite a lot at the end of the year it, the, the soft tyre masks the problems of the other cars and especially when all the fuel's out and everything right so going back to Singapore I think there's every chance that say Red Bull went back there was a second Singapore Grand Prix after Abu Dhabi, maybe another driver qualifies ahead and then you still see a similar sort of race play out. But I mean, yeah, even in Las Vegas, they were still right with their, right there with Ferrari. And yet yeah, Ferrari should have won that race as well, but for the, the race circumstances and, and George Russell turning in on Max Verstappen. But yeah, I mean, again, other than that, what can you really say about Red Bull doing anything wrong this year? I mean, I guess their only thing is that Perez wasn't up there with Verstappen, but it didn't matter. They weren't made to pay for it. You're right. And, you know, if, if Mercedes or McLaren or Aston Martin, whoever do come out fighting, then they will need a rear gunner. But that at no point was that really exposed this season. Um, actually, as and that is a talking point in itself, isn't it? It's that beyond Red Bull being exceptional, it was Verstappen. And I don't want to trivialise what he did in any way, shape or form, but he was so good at basically rinsing and repeating, wasn't he? Where, you know, puts it on pole, does the thing where... Maybe, you know, launches well enough. Maybe there's a scare in the opening laps. But rather than him, like, you know, the, the, the race hanging in the balance at that point, that is him sort of leaning on the Pirellis to put them in the window. And then he can extend them longer. You know, the tyre cliche about Perez was that he was a tyre whisperer. Well, has he lost that ability? I don't think so. I think we don't talk about it anymore because Max Verstappen is that good at it. He, look, he leans on the Pirellis to sort of not surprise him in what he's doing and he reaps those awards at the end of end of the stint so it was you know it would be Verstappen leads from pole through the opening corners maybe checks his mirrors once or twice then you look at you look down type a few notes look at the timing screen he's 1.7 seconds clear away from DRS threat and then you focus on the mid-pack battles and you look up and he's 20 seconds clear and that happened time and time and time again and it worked wonders for him I guess we saw that in the Vettel era is that there was that that whole thing about well as long as they could qualify well he could pull away, get a gap, control the race, and and that Red Bull was set up uh, to win that way. And then I guess the story of how Red Bull won this year, I thought w- was interesting because they didn't always qualify emphatically. And there were a few events where, although despite what Matt has said, 
the first few laps almost tricked us into thinking, oh, there could be a battle here. Oh, no, there's not. Here they go. So how is this modern era Red Bull strategy weekend execution worked so well in their favour? It's exactly what Matt said. Anything else to add add to that? Uh, I think, well, I think there's a f- sort of few examples of when either, uh, I think particularly in the early season when Verstappen did make a couple of errors in qualifying or a couple of things went wrong. Um Saudi Arabia being one such example um, in which he finished second and just sort of carved his way through the pack. Miami being another one where he messed up his first hot lap and then when he was trying to do a second, Leclerc popped in the wall, um, which, you know, was uh, a little bit of an inconvenience for Verstappen. But he was... um, he was leading by very, very early. Obviously, he'd still hadn't he'd done a very, very long stint on the hard tyre. But um, I think it's just the fact that he gets a strategy and they go, this is what you need to do. These are your lap times. He, he'll hit that every single time. It's like, you've got to do one 145 dead. Okay. He'll reel off 17, 18 consecutive laps of that. It's metronomic. It's, it is like, as you say, in the V8 times, um, watching Vettel do it. But sorry, uh, but it's he's got that. I think, and I think the car allows this as well. Just that added ability to just you know carve through and and put everybody in that mindset of we're not even going to bother fighting this because he's just going to carve through. Right. So that's that's something we should probably talk about when we talk about the drivers later on. But that definitely made the season worse in that they all yeah. were just like, well, if we fight him we know we're just going to harm our potential race against others and they were just making the sensible choice. It's not what we as people who look for the narratives want or for fans who just want to see like overtaking battles. But anyway, let's go on to that later on. Back just with the sort of ending on the RB19, I think like it's clear that they made a a choice very, very, very early on in the concept of the RB18 that they were just like, right, we focus on race performance. It doesn't matter uh, if, you know, it means others can get close to us uh, in qualifying. But what we do is we just, it will come at a cost of the tyres being hard to warm up for that ultimate like one lap grip in qualifying. But in the races, we'll just be a massive step clearer on on tyre wear. And that's ultimately what happened. And and they still got, what was it, 14 pole positions? Like... they was they were still totally dominant when it when it came to qualifying. And I think without Charles Leclerc, I know and and Science as well when he was really in his purple patch, that it could have been like even more of a double season because at least it led to a little bit of jeopardy uh, in the early stages. And I think yeah, you have to you have to say Red Bull made made the right choice. They also they they've also got a car that is competitive on loads of different track types. And I think Ferrari like maybe when we come on to talk about them, they deserve some credit for trying to change their car concept or trying to change the way their car performed because it was so good in the corners in 2022 but it was so bad in a straight line they were like well, well that's where the red bull was good so let's try and emulate that and it just didn't it just didn't work and it, and it made them weaker where they were strong and they never got as good as red bull okay they did when they put the monza uh straight line package on but that's only good for two races like they it you know it it, it was like it was better than what Mercedes did, which was just like, well, this thing that didn't work, this is going to suddenly going to work, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about second best. I mean, statistically, Mercedes were second best. Once again, Hamilton using that point scoring advantage that, he, that he's got, that ability, that, that experience, just to rack up points, sometimes quietly, actually, and get on, and get on with the job which I think disguises weaknesses sometimes um, in the car. When you look, get to the end of the year, you look back just at the data, you think, oh, Mercedes did okay. Well, they, you know, they didn't. I guess in my mind, over the course of the year, there's a couple of storylines, like how well Aston started and then faded. 
some bits not on the car at the end of the year that were. And that story of McLaren coming through. But actually, we shouldn't really talk about those two teams because we should talk about Mercedes and Ferrari first because they were the closest competition. And then, again, partly my fault, partly that perception that I've got, I kind of forget how good Ferrari could could be at times this year. But you know, it sort of gets lost in the, the mire of how good Red Bull were. But Ferrari had some really good moments this year. How will Ferrari, do you think, Mercedes and Ferrari reflect on 23? And let's also talk about what they might be tweaking over the off-season into 24. I think they'll both be massively disappointed and it'd be worrying for their colleagues if they if they weren't. Um, you know, Ferrari, it, it's neither here nor there, but which one would you rather have? Third in the Constructors' Championship and a bit more aerodynamic t- testing time and a trophy for winning a race. Or Mercedes, which was second and, you know, ruining not only a you know, first winless season since 2011, but... And they basically, by the end of Bahrain qualifying, they decided to ditch their concept. And then they bring new parts for Monaco, which are a step in the right direction. But they're fundamentally tied to the wrong car architecture. So from, you know, race six onwards, they're in a holding pattern, counting down the races. And then they have glimmers of hope in Austin, but they don't count for anything, A, because of disqualification, but two, because then they're now hopeless again a few races later. For Ferrari, you do, I suppose, latch onto that one lap pace but you know signs are saying for next year's car i'm happy to for that all to go all the strengths of being able to ride the curbs the straight line speed the braking that all needs to go if we're going to take a material step forward so and the fact is that both okay again ferrari is it from spanish grand prix new side uh body work which as we've said a million times the side pods is not indicative of car concept or whatever but that is that is you know for us looking on that is what we see as the obvious sort of visual differentiation both the jack and in for next year they're both starting from you know again really with different architectures so one that feeds back to the red bull of their two years further down the line with developing this concept there wasn't a a, you know a major upgrade of any note following zandvoort uh unless there was on another team which may be a talking point for later in the podcast whereas whereas mercedes so basically red bull can then develop on, as I've said, we're tweaking every little bit for the RB20, every, you know, as you would, it's evolution. Whereas Mercedes and Ferrari are betting on revolution. And we, we all, F1 stakeholders, the teams, us as fans, we all need that to work. But um, if they are anything less than disappointed, and Toto Wolff was very vocal throughout, uh, that it was a disappointing season, the worst car, the worst weekend. Uh, he said all sorts of epithets, you know, about the car. Fred Vassour was a bit more sort of muted. One, I think that's his personality. Two, I think Ferrari should take some credit on better pit stops and better strategy execution, the bit that the short-term gains they could make. And, you know, they also have that situation of, yes, there are a lot of comings and goings in F1 in terms of personnel, but with gardening leave and whatever, the key hires they want to make, they're they're not going to come in or they're not going to sort of reap the rewards for them until those that that, that period is over. So I, I think with Ferrari, they're taking maybe a slightly longer term view. But yes, both of them should be very disappointed with themselves and taking a long, hard look in the mirror. One thing to say on Ferrari is once again, the comms were awful. I think, yeah, yeah. Fisio was, 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 was muted when he wasn't laughing at his own jokes. <laughs> uh, or just or, or just, re- just refusing to talk even about any sort of hypothetical or anything, anything like that. He, uh, uh, it, it, it was more like, you know, I know you and I have uh, uh, strongly agreed on Andrea Stella being sort of like the signing of the season Absolutely. with his promotion to team principal at McLaren. And one of his key things is he basically, I spoke to him in Las Vegas, it was just like, um, 
I, I'm not I'm not going to mislead the media because what happens you get like um, you get you get short term gains but ultimately it, it, it does you know it's not to your benefit and I think Ferrari were just like no we're not going to change the car at all oh the car's changed now yeah wh- wh- why are you surprised sort of things and it, it's that whole thing it just adds up to a sort of a team that's just sort of scrambling really and I think that you know one, one of our questions we've got in our, our notes that we we're preparing for was, was Ferrari was it a case of a team underperformance that stopped them from getting second in the championship so therefore what's the subtext of that oh was it the drivers making loads and loads of mistakes and in in you look at it in a pure points wise, then yeah, it was the driving mistakes. But where are the driving mistakes coming from? I don't think Charles Leclerc does what he does in Australia or Miami if he wasn't having to try and make up for the car being like he, the, he, the sheer disappointment of the car being um, as bad as it ended up being. And also, you know, I'm we I've been working on um, a feature that we're, where I'm writing with Corinne Chandok, looking at F1 driving styles and how that compares now to say how like you know they would in, in different eras, right? If you look at Leclerc driving, look at what he does behind the wheel. He's actually really calm. Like, it's a really smooth driving style. Yeah, it's, it's on the edge. But compared to, say, like, Lance Stroll, who, is, who, is not, who barely seems to be doing anything but turn the wheel at any possible position, Leclerc makes very, very smooth. It's like one movement and then a second movement once he realises the rear's coming with him. But it's not, like, jerky all over the place. So what does that suggest to me? That the car is absolutely on the edge all of the time and that explains why both Ferrari drivers had a lot of problems so where does the buck stop there well it's not Leclerc and science designing the car it's Ferrari that was an amusing sort of uh, sort of footnote for our season so it's in Miami where um, the each team has to if they bring an update they have to do a presentation to the media talk through what they've done and, and it was Jock Clear who I think is down as Leclerc's driver coach or anything but he's like look at this new floor it's about making a car more benign an hour later, that car was wrapped around a barrier for being totally unpredictable and snappy. As a daft question, but you know it comes from a good place. Why don't those cars at Mercedes and Ferrari look more like a Red Bull by now after two years? Well, I'll, I'll get on to that point okay, first. Okay, okay. I'll get on to that point first, which is when you homologate a car at the start, well, before the start of the season, um, everything's got to pass the crash test, that kind of thing, and you have the car in a certain, you know, you have the internals, you know, in a certain way. Um to to change that wholesale um you're probably gonna have to homologate a new chassis to be able to do that and you you know you don't really have the funds to do to build another car basically everyone sort of goes on about oh they're bringing a b-spec it's not a b-spec though right in, um, in the traditional sense of yeah a whole new philosophy yeah, halfway through no one no one no one does that anymore mm. um on the sort of subject of Mercedes and Ferrari as a whole. Um, I, I, I echo what, what, what Matt and Alex have said, um, but someone's got to, someone's got to finish second and third, right, every single year. And I think under Fred Vasseur, I think Ferrari has sort of tacitly agreed. Okay, we're not we're not where we want to be, and we do need to make changes. And I think he's gone about it in relatively the right way of just kind of assess where the team is. Strategic errors don't seem to be quite as, you know, pervasive as they once were. Um, it seems to be the sort of like base that everyone's working from. It's getting everybody on the same hymn sheet, and and I think that's a little bit what what Bruno Fernandes is doing at Alpine now, just trying to get everybody to sing on the same hymn sheet. Because when you have that schism between chassis department and engine department, you've you've got a huge problem, and you've got two people pulling in different directions. Whereas Mercedes, it seems to be everything that Toto Wolff says about the car, everything the drivers say about the car, they say it's the worst thing they've ever driven. This car's awful. 
this car's dreadful. It can't be driven. It's undrivable. Everything we do to it doesn't work. You still got second in the championship. It's not that bad. If you're yeah, but that's that's just that's, on, that's on, just on, spin. On, I mean, if you're not if you're Mercedes and you've won eight world titles in a row and you haven't won a race but all year, here's I, the thing: it, it, the whole like the whole vice champion thing. It's total nonsense. But if you look at it for, rather from a media pers- rather from a media perspective, if you're a member of that team and you are seeing your drivers, seeing your team boss late, basically a year's work in the media every single week, what's that going to do for morale? There's this suggestion that, oh, Mercedes, we have a no-blame culture, we're not going to blame anybody. But you're blaming everybody because everybody has contributed to that project. And sure, it's not it's not maybe not good enough and you do have to improve. Obviously, that's the case. But just just get on with it. You don't need to be putting social media statements out everywhere and going, oh, we're not where we want to be. We've let you, the fans, that. Who cares? Just get on with it. Race cars, do better. That's basically it. I, I agree with the the silly apologies to fans and all of that, you know. Um, but I do agree with slamming the team. I think you're an eight-time constructors uh, champion. You can't be seen to be accepting that, you know. It's also, you have investors you know you have a, a, a 33% to between Wolf Jim Ratcliffe and and um, Mercedes you need to appease them and you know not to be too harsh JBL but if they want an incentive the championship bonus structure for winning and uh, and the the money you can pocket for that for whatever job you do in a team that would make me get out of bed regardless of what a couple of colleagues are saying the thing is you can't win every year and you have to tacitly admit that you know periods of domination rise periods of domination fall you know the romans didn't last forever uh lotus wasn't at the front of f1 forever ferrari hasn't been at the front of f1 forever things change and you know you can do great things and still not win that's just f1 all i was gonna say having successfully tried to rile jbl up there which uh, which you, you were much less riled than i would have been here uh, in reverse was that um actually actually let you know let, let's give some credit where credit is due the changes that ferrari and mercedes did make worked both cars were better once they went to the red bull side pod concept and particularly i think the ferrari i think if you look at they I've had this long-standing historical weakness on uh, in-race tyre degradation that goes back to the previous generation of cars, right? They were much better at that. It was still quite hit and miss, but they were up there. More, well, more up there than they were in the, in the start of the season. And the drivers calmed down a little bit. Science had a, had a proper purple patch after the summer break. Mercedes, still a little bit off. George Russell not helping that with his run of errors. Um, but they, they certainly did make progress. But if you want to look forward to 2024 be very interested to see what suspension arrangements those two cars come out with because the the red bull one is the same one as mclaren in terms of the difference between the front and the rear axles and those two cars are the best two cars in particularly like the high speed tracks so for example like qatar or silverstone uh things like that so yeah that that would be what i'd be looking at if, if ferrari and mercedes have switched to that along with the sideboard concept that they've already got that would be a big sign that there is greater potential for them to move up towards Red Bull. But I don't know. We had high hopes this year and they were utterly dashed. So there we go. Well, there were some in-season talking points, as I mentioned a moment ago, that was Aston starting really strong. Alonso has been quoted many times as saying he could be on the podium every race, but that was slightly taken out of context. And also... um, you know, Alonso said stuff, but also maybe that was a half joke as well. But um, I hear people mention that quite that one quite a lot. But actually, there's an element of half truth in it because they were that good at the beginning 
of the year. As the year went on, we saw some sort of bits not being on that car anymore. And we saw McLaren finally coming good on years of promising to finally come good after a post-Alonso, Zach Brown era where they stopped, I think, talking like, former world champions, and then McLaren went away and hired the right people and quietly got on with making themselves better rather than making a lot of noise about as you, exactly the Mercedes issue, exactly that, um, and uh, and uh, um, and quietly got on with being, being very, very good and having the right people in the right position. So that was, a um, Matt, a big, one of the big talking points uh, of that storyline through the year. Yeah, actually, the way Alex and JBL have sort of covered their Aston McLaren um, season is sort of a compare and contrast all the way throughout, like a dual narrative thing, which is which is uh, inspired. Well done, Chuck. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, but, high fives. Yeah, yeah, well done. But I, I was going through. So I've written a bit that will um, a piece that will run on Autosport.com at the end of the week. Basically, what does this season without a Red Bull and B Max Verstappen look like? And where you start it is, you know, think back to Bahrain. Okay, you had Leclerc engine trouble, but Alonso humbling, humbling both Mercedes drivers and Carlos signs in in wheel to wheel combat. Then you know, mega in Saudi Arabia again, potential threat. And then we're looking. Well, what happens when we get to Monaco? Because this is where the McLaren, uh, the Aston's best at low speed. And then apart from you know one of the great final sectors, which. It's no one's ranking. No one does a top 10 great final sectors. But no, but he got in pole position. Exactly. Three tenths he got. Yeah, it, was, it was an astonishing pole position, but that is what denies Alonso and it goes on from there. And then in this same hypothetical world I've conjured up without Red Bull, okay, Aston Martin probably still gets hobbled by having an overly flexible front wing, but they do they go down this path? Of allegedly. D- allegedly. <laughs> Legal default. Uh, but do they, do Aston Martin then go down this path of trying to Re- um, reverse engineer 2024 development onto the 2023 car to get upgrades. Perhaps they don't and they stay in that hunt for a bit, a little bit longer before they then sort of reassess everything. Was it around Brazil time when it was a big uptick at the end of the season? But that that was astonishing. You know, what it was so one sided. So, you know, I, I almost use Aston and Fernando Alonso interchangeably at this point, but the spectacle he provided was superb the optimism the show showing that it can be done to rise from seventh to at the end of 2022 and then mclaren you've now got a situation where i think both mercedes and ferrari are citing the mclaren in-season gains as something that shows that they can catch red bull at the start of next year because if they can do that by taking a bad car and making it good then what can they do from sort of carte blanche but the McLaren turnaround was astonishing I don't want to wax lyrical too much about Andreas because we've done it all season so I'll caveat it by saying it's such a complicated technical structure he's gone for if McLaren ever goes off the boil again it'll be interesting to see how they climb their way up because it was the Eric Boulier technical structure that was similarly complex and absolutely panned throughout and then they revised their structures see where they go from that but it was astonishing what they said what they did uh, yes Norris Probably, okay, Alex who can pick up this with his column this week, but a few too many times I th- felt he'd sort of almost rolled over. Careful, for, careful, you'd have to say sorry. For Verstappen. No, I, didn't, I didn't have to. Yeah. Um, I chose to. But the, the McLaren turnaround was absolutely astonishing. Yes, is basically not copying, but, you know, by, by latching onto certain areas where the DRS and beam winging interaction at Red Bull went for, that's why they took a mega step forward. But 
you know, if you're really looking for optimism, because we have been quite down about the state of F1 through this podcast, you've got those in-season gains with Rob Marshall, with David Sanchez joining, with a new simulator, with a new wind tunnel. Maybe there is enough there to get going, but it was an astonishing turnaround. And they've, you know, the 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 two pull quotes from McLaren season, I think, are, you know, at the start of before this three-stage mega upgrade that came in, it was, we're going to change virtually every single aerodynamic part of the car. That was one mega up, uh, line I took from it. The rest was, it was all bolted on, and then they said basically 60% of this will be new next year as well. So if it's a good 60%, let's see where they go. But those those were, for me, by far, the two best plot lines of the story uh, of the season. Right, I'm going to do two things that hit right back at you straight away. First of all, I am going to wax lyrical about Andrea Stella. Uh, and then I'm going to interject, interject a, another note of negativity about 2024. But we'll, we'll, come, to Stella, nice. we'll come to Stella first. Uh, and that is that I spoke to him in Las Vegas. And honestly, I could have listened to him all afternoon. Well, sorry, all of the middle of the night when it was. You sort of get lost in his eyes, don't you? Or is that just me? They are massive. They are massive. Um, but yeah, it, it was more that just the way he talks about like, what he gets out of the job. I mean, I know it's, again, It's it, he claims he doesn't do the PR game, but this is his own PR game, right? Which is saying like, oh, the results don't matter. It's the journey. It's seeing people progress and, and things like that. And it's, it's seeing people get better and doing their jobs and, and, and enjoy themselves. And I really appreciate that because A, like a lot of businesses can learn from that, but also just that, I don't know, McLaren just seems to be a happy team at the moment. I think I think you get that from uh, their drivers. I think you get that in Lando Norris's just saying whatever the hell he likes and, and whatever he thinks. And Oscar Piastri being the most deadpan driver I've ever come across. He's just completely cutting. It's wonderful. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I think that is interesting and it's part of Stella's like way of working. But what he said something really interesting that I thought that that, that that sat with me, which was that like, yeah, they've gone through all these changes. James Key, James Key is gone. The technical, uh, you know, the technical department, all of it is is now complicated and is, is now very different. But he said it's allowed them to unleash the talent that McLaren already have. So I don't know, that to me just suggests that he, it seems to be working for them at the moment. Um, so that that's that's encouraging. What is not so encouraging, and again, I'm not I'm not trying to, because I, I think we've all said this about Andrea Stella. I say it about Lando Norris as well. We'll come and talk about that column uh, when we talk about the drivers later on. But I appreciate the honesty of these people. I appreciate when they say what they think. And Stella said something in Abu Dhabi that frankly alarmed me, uh, which was when you consider that Lando Norris blew pole position there because the car sort of snapped and got away from him. He was basically just saying, or Stella was saying, have we introduced something? Is there an upgrade? Is there a change that we've made that has made this car somehow unpredictable? And that's what's holding us back. And then also in that interview uh, in, in Las Vegas, he was talking about like, and Zach Brown was doing the same thing that like, yeah, we've got all these things coming together now but it's going to be 2025 when you see the results of them and they all know like the reason why McLaren was so open with how bad its car was going to be at the start of the year at the season launch was because it had seen three months ago what the data was saying so what are they seeing now and is that what's coming through in the messaging so that's why I'm like yay good McLaren but also hang on a minute McLaren which we are praising for their honesty are they telling us that maybe they're not going to be fighting Red Bull at the start of 2024 I don't want them to be because I think as Matt said, it was very, very interesting element of 2023, but that could happen. I've, I've been super impressed by McLaren this year. And as you guys have mentioned and validated my point about Mercedes, yeah, sure, that they accepted that they weren't going to be where they wanted to be. But they actually went out of the way and said, right, this is all of this needs to change and we need to do it. And, you know, damn the expense within the cost cap, which obviously they, they did, you know, 
as we understand, fit within the cost cap. Um, but it's been such an impressive turnaround. And I don't think, you know, even compared to the 2009 turnaround where the car came out of the blocks and it was rubbish, um, and had to get rid of that ghastly in-washing front wing because they'd missed the memo and suddenly Hamilton was winning races towards the tail end of the season. I think this surpasses that turnaround. Um, sure, there wasn't a race win. Very nearly was uh, on a couple of occasions. Um, Technically, there was a sprint. True. Well, I'm still not counting them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Max Verstappen in the corner over here. Fair enough. Uh, That's why I, hate, I hate them as well. <laughs> it, so yeah, it's been. It's just been. It's just been very, very impressive. Um, I don't want to sort of overanalyze what people have said going into 2024 because. Let's be honest, Rebel could come out of the blocks with their RB20 and it could have tons of potential and it could just be, you know, they could spend the whole first half of the season trying to get it working and, you know, that allows other teams in. So there's still plenty of opportunity for other teams to, to make a go of it and, you know, be great to see. It, it, Norris's trajectory reminds me a little bit of um, Hackenden in the 90s. You know, it took forever for him to win a race with McLaren because McLaren was going through you know tough patches which it's it's done here as well and I guess you know once he finally got that win sure it was he, he had a lot of help from uh the McLaren pit wall and Jacques Villeneuve at Hareth 97 but once you know he won the floodgates just kind of opened um and he was one of the great champions of the 90s so hopefully you know it'd be really nice to see Norris sort of go through that 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 period of getting his first win and then you know the others will, will certainly follow um and piastri super impressive but that that was a andrea stella point which was look how long it took marcus schumacher to win at ferrari i mean he joins in 96 it takes till 2000 until, until they properly start winning well certainly start winning championships so yeah i don't know that they, they're obviously drawing inspiration from that i guess the 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 counterpoint to that is that it's been a it's been a lot of reinventions for mclaren like you know what 2007 2008 the last time they were genuinely in title contention and then we finally thought they were getting back towards it in 2021 and then it was all gone again so it's it's not uh, it's it's a I take the point and I take the inspiration point but it's just not you know it's but not I that think, neat is it I think I think they're still on the same trajectory that they were since 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 Zach Brown came in as CEO I sort of group that kind of era together and I still think that's relatively the same journey I think when you look at kind of the bordering transitions Ron Dennis leaving and, and Whitmarsh taking over and then that kind of period of great success and then decline and then Dennis coming back on board and every and going, oh, you know, we need to be a works team, getting Honda in and everything being suddenly worse. Um, I feel like we're still on the, you know, they're still on the ascent. They're still on a sort of trending upwards and sure you're going to have a few backward steps like you did, you know, certainly last season and the start of this year. But sometimes, you know, it's a massive cliche and I hate myself for saying this, but sometimes you've got to go backwards to go forwards. I hate you for saying that as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're not going to spend too long on the bottom five teams, but I don't want to hit any important talking points that you feel strongly um, about with Alpine Williams, Alpha Tauri, Alpha Romeo, as was, and <laughs> any big talking points they want to cover off from from those teams Alpine madness shambles yes fighting it's fighting no one it's well clear of sixth they uh, are in no man's land aren't they yeah they're well clear of uh, sixth place but miles miles from anyone else and you know they're 
their targets for the season were logical. It's we're still going to finish fourth like we did last year, but we're going to close the gap to the top three because what we did in 2022 was bring up grades that always work and always gave us a step forward. So those preseason aims were not only crystal clear, but they were plausible. This wasn't the, you know, we're going to win every race, whatever, flight of fancy. And then it was just a shambles. Like the management turnover. So you've got, you know, Laurent Rossi calling everyone amateurs. Then... At that time, Nick Fry goes, absolutely not. And, you know, takes his CV to James Vowles or at least accepts the offer. You've got Alan Pross, former special advisor, going, Rossi, he's a, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dunning-Kruger effect. He's a, you know, uh, loon or whatever. Otmar and Otmar Safnauer and um, Alan Pomain get a call from Luca de Meo going, you know, guys, let's get success a bit sooner. Well, we, you know, me, Otmar, I've only just got here. This is how long it takes to bring success. That's not good enough. Pack your bags. And then Bruno Famine, who's come in, who's one year in charge of an engine program that all right, he picked up the pieces, but the engine program that was fantastically unreliable in 2022 and comes in, hasn't had time. So he says to look for his uh, replacement, which is always amusing. But like, where, where are they going? They've had such a brain drain. They've got, you know, the endless narrative that Viri and Enstone get on and those bits are all still there. I get what, you know, JBL said earlier in in the podcast that it's about coming in and studying a ship, but that is just an absolute shambles of a team and who knows where it's going. But if if the for sale board went up tomorrow, would anyone be surprised? Uh, I know you and the listeners might find this hard to believe, but I've got short points about several teams. Uh, Let's start with Alpine. Um, I agree with every word. Uh, Keith just said although I would point out the team was awful in Monza like straight line speed absolutely terrible we know the engine is down on performance um, they hoped to get that engine equalisation break but none of the other teams would support it because funnily enough why would they do that uh, so uh, so yeah so, so that, that wasn't happening so the team focused on right how can we improve aerodynamically and Pierre Gasly was very near the top guys uh, in qualifying Las Vegas so, so credit there they should draw inspiration from that at Alpine um, Alpha Tauri Obviously, a lot of churn there, a lot of management churn, but I actually think that's much more to do with the management of Red Bull, the drinks company, and Oliver Mintzlaff, the, the new CEO, and actually the power struggle that we think is going on between Christian Horner and Helmut Marko. And if you look at what's happened at Alpha Tauri, it's fairly clear that Christian Horner is, has either won that power struggle or is winning it. Yeah, we had that weird moment this year out of nowhere where Helmut Marko made a statement to either Austrian media or somewhere. Where he was like, I'll decide when I retire. Like, we weren't talking about that until now, but we are now helmet so yeah that all kind of came from nowhere that explains that quite quite um on Haas obviously they finally introduced that big car concept change at the US Grand Prix why did they not do it earlier I mean that's a long way into the season they're saying oh well you know it's proving thing proving the concept for 2024 it's like yeah okay fine but that's like it was obvious what was going on. I mean, we, there's a lot of talk about close team collaboration. It was obvious what Ferrari were going to have to do, right? And we know Haas is very close to them. Uh, and then and then there's Williams, who I think, you know, a lot of people absolutely castigating them and, and slagging them off at the start of the year. Really not a bad year. And again, if we talk about signings of the season, 
James Vowles has, has, has really proved himself. And and again, I just want to say what, because there was that ridiculous social media post after Logan Sargent. Do you remember when we were standing inside the final corners in Spain and he, he biffed it yes. into the barriers? And yes, <laughs> That's good fun. There was a social media post being like, look at the underside of this car. You can see you can see why this team is terrible. It's because, yeah. it's, because it's not as complex as the Red Bull. Completely forgetting that the angles of the photos were completely different and you were looking at two, uh, two different parts of the car. That was so stupid. I just wanted to bring that up again. Um, so, uh, but but see, but again, just 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 to clarify and just to keep this nice and succinct, Williams not as bad as everyone said. They'll have that on their headstone. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll just kick off a little bit with with Alpine again. Um, we have spent. Is that because Zidane is their ambassador? Zindine Zidane. Uh, he, he turned up at their launch. He did his thing on stage. He walked around the back of the audience and straight oh, right. to the did exit. He, did he oh, headbutt yes. anybody? I've had, yes. some, I've had some good anecdotes about what he's like to deal with behind the scenes. Oh, it's terrifying, I imagine. Now, we've had, I think, let's say over the second half of the year, maybe beyond that, um, amid the Formula One power struggle between FOM and the FIA and Andretti's 11th entry, well, projected 11th entry being at the centre of that, I do not understand why Renault did not sell the race team to Andretti because they were at this point they already had a, a, a deal in the offing with Renault or a pre-contract rather with Renault. Why not just sell the race team to, to Andretti? Therefore, you've got a UK base set up. You don't have to work quite so closely with Viri because it's they're not two Renault entities. You've offloaded something that was underperforming and could do with the investment because. Uh, I don't know how much Renault is investing in the growth of the F1 team. It seems to have been a stagnant place for the last... When did Renault buy it back? 2016? About then. I think they put they updated everything slightly. New lick of paint and everything. I was like, yeah, I'll do. Well, that's it. Sorry to interrupt, <laughs> but everyone's announced a new simulated new wind tunnel. Endstone's had the refit, isn't it? And now they're talking about hiring aerodynamicists as opposed to actually upgrading the infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I, I don't understand why, uh, you know, that would have been quite a good business case I think um, Alfa Romeo existed uh, so that's about it um, Haas as, as Alex said uh, uh, that upgrade came and uh, the fact that you've got two drivers going we prefer different things suggests that it did not work in the slightest yeah exactly didn't work in the slightest um, the rise of Alfa towards the end of the season was, was, was quite interesting because um, there was that undercurrent of is Red Bull giving them basically their development work to do? Now, I'm not going to make a call on that. I will just say, did they? Like some kind of talk well, radio presenter. Is there any evidence to the contrary that they haven't? All I'll just say is that what was the RB19 bad at? Low speed corners. What was the Alpha Tauri very good at by the end? Low speed corners. So that's that's basically what we're saying. What we're alluding to is that's what the other teams are afraid of. To ring, so to ring your Andrea Stella Bell again. Do you remember when he did that press call or where he did the media session in Abu Dhabi? And uh, he, I think it was meant to be complimentary, but it was incredibly barbed. Went, well done, Alfa. Aren't they brilliant in low speed corners? It was a very thinly veiled. I think McLaren have had their nose particularly out of, put out of joint by this collaboration rumor. Which, it, as 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 JBL says, it's not necessarily about how far can Alfatari climb. It's what's Red Bull gaining out of it as well. That's why I said earlier, you know, there's all well and good going, wow, you know, Red Bull haven't uh, bought an upgrade since um, since uh, Zambot. Well, they might have done, allegedly, just whether it was put on their car or not. Well, exactly that. Yeah. I mean, Sonoda had a good finish in Abu Dhabi, raced, raced pretty well. It was a handy new floor that they had on in Abu Dhabi for the last race of the year. 
Uh, it looked it, right. It, it was indeed. I mean, I thought that was an excellent race drive uh, from Yuki Sonoda. But actually, what I wanted, I think we should end on, is that we've given Aston Martin one hell of an easy ride in this podcast. Great. Because... Yeah went massively went massively off the boil admitted they got their development path uh, made the wrong choices couldn't sustain what was going on there is all that interest in the, the the clamp down on the on the flexi wings around sort of Baku Canada time and then you know there was the technical directives coming in Singapore but that you know completely different when, when sort of the terms that we're talking about right uh, and also no suggestion that Aston was doing anything wrong but couldn't sustain their challenge and I think Alonso has has come out and said it. He said it in that round table in Abu Dhabi. It was like, we've got to be more consistent and we've got to be better at straight line speed. But the consistency thing is important because he was he's not going to take another season of, oh, this is good and oh, no, it's bad. Well, that, that can be a really pessimistic ending, if you like, where McLaren are, you know, reading Love between it. the lines <laughs> are saying that our car, you know, they're, the fact they are downplaying things have been honest throughout and they're saying our car is not very good. Should we be worried that basically Aston Martin, we're developing a 2024 car in tandem, um, Prancing around, I can't think of broadcastable words, but that stupid like bow tie rear wing that went on the bottom of the diffuser the snapped tail. off immediately. Stuff like that. If they're doing that, and that is all about, you know, the 2024 car informing the developments in 2023 and they're not working, does that bode well? Uh, does that bode poorly? And then the two sort of surprise good packages 2023, you'll then take it out of the equation for next year. Can I just jump <laughs> on the, the, <laughs> the Aston Express briefly? Because I want... Monaco is probably, you know, the best chance of victory. Had qualifying gone a little bit better, had certain in-race uh, reactions to rainfall gone a little bit better. Uh, and at the time, um, when Aston Martin stopped Fernando Alonso, he went on the medium tyre and then stopped a lap later to go for the intermediate. At the time, he was very defensive of that manoeuvre and said, no, 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 I think, you know, it w- we would have come out behind anyway and this would have happened, that would have happened. I found it very interesting going through all of the Abu Dhabi transcripts that now he now reflects on that instant thing. Well, had a pit stop gone slightly differently, we might have won that. Now, you know, playing the, the team game there and deflecting very, very well and that kind of thing. But I think, you know... It should the team should have won a race that year. Exactly, yes. Team well, should have won. Although in, in Aston, in Aston, to, to Aston's credit, the next week at the Spanish Grand Prix, Mike Crack said, "Well, we went through our simulations and all the analysis, and uh, uh, and basically admitted, yeah, if we'd stopped him, if we'd put him on, well, if we'd put him on the wets when we stopped him first, they would have won. So at least they were, you know, at least they they fronted up to that. I thought that was good. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, that's our part one done. We'll be back, we'll be back in part two, and we'll talk about the top ten drivers of the 2023 season. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you for part two. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.